0: Welcome to OAN, everyone. And those of you who are here for the first time, uh, welcome, good to have you. And you're all welcome. Uh, I guess it's always the first time in some weird sense, even though it's been over 20 years that we've been here. Every time seems like uh, the first time, so that's wonderful. And thank you all for making the effort to come here today. Uh, continue to express deep gratitude uh, for your willingness to make the trip, because except for just a couple of us, <laughs> you have to make the trip. Well, we have to make the trip from one Never place. to walk upstairs. Right. And I have to walk <laughs> over here. So I mean, I could be in bed too. So uh, <laughs> thank you all very much. Um, These teachings have. These teachings are over twenty six hundred years old. Over, over, because they've, they've really never, never started, and they probably will never end, Uh, and they've taken many, many forms over the millennia. Uh, They've taken forms of the Quran, the Torah, uh, the Bible. So these teachings are very unlikely ever to be completely destroyed. Nonetheless, we have to realize them. We have to make them happen. Uh, And so when we come together, um, certainly every Sunday and every Thursday evening and sometimes on long retreats, we are actually realizing the teachings. We are making them real. We are embodying them. So the fact that uh, you are here, body, mind, and spirit, uh, and showing up um, is realizing, making real the teachings, despite the fact that they will never be defiled, they will never disappear, nonetheless, we still have to show up. So very, very grateful for that. We have been starting to examine the approach to these teachings that is, has been transmitted to us from our lineage holder. We are in a certain lineage, uh, Soto Zen lineage. And our lineage holder is named Koban Chino. Otagawa Roshi, revered teacher. As I said last week, uh, he has passed away unfortunately in a drowning accident with his little daughter, but his teachings remain with his Dharma heirs. I happen to be one of them. I think there are quite a few of them who are now uh, teaching, have their own sanghas, uh, who are transmitting these teachings in the spirit of Koban. So we thought it would be helpful and appropriate to examine Koban's particular style of Buddhism. And there are many, many styles. We read today the introduction to Shikantaza. We read something that Koban has Taught. And one of the core aspects of his style of practice is a profound trust in every individual's way of being, of understanding what life is, of living that life out in his or her or their particular way of being. So, it is this sense that you are the authority. You are, you have the responsibility, not just in, the, in terms of the burden of finding your own truth, but having within yourself the, the ability to respond to life, responsibility to respond fully to life in your own way. There is, I think we can observe that culturally, we have a distrust of ourselves. We somehow think that we need, particularly with respect to Our religious uh, journey, we need to consult the experts, the people who have, who are wearing this, who are holding this. Um, You know, we have a culture of experts. So if we, if we have a problem, or if we're trying to discover some reality or truth, The last person we go to is this, this person. So I go to the expert on this, the expert on this. We go Google, Google the experts. And this is reflecting a a really uh, deep sense that somehow we can't do it. We can't figure it out. We don't have within us the capacity to discover the truth, to discover the reality, and there's this continual sense of, I should do this, or I should be this, or I ought to be other than I am. Somehow there's something missing, there's something wrong, and in order to discover what that is, I have to turn to To the people who know better than I do. Who can see more accurately than I can see. So this sense that particularly in in our spiritual journeys. There is no other expert. There is no better teacher than you. This, This Buddha right here. If we want to gain knowledge about something, like we want to, we want to learn how to solve a simultaneous equations, we turn to a mathematician. You know, if we, we want to get knowledge about something, yeah, we go on Google, You know, we can look up lots of things and learn lots of things. But when it comes to spiritual life, knowledge doesn't really apply. Who, who is going to tell us about our own spiritual existence? Who's the, who's the expert on us? It's, it's very personal. And there's nobody who knows us better than us, except that we don't look there. So we're, we, we just pull the blind down, uh, pull the curtain down. On us. And this is what we're doing here. We are consulting us. <laughs> we're consulting this being. Not looking to experts. Because there are no experts on liberation. There are teachings. They're out there. But we have to, we have to believe them. Put them into practice. See if they work. So we are the ultimate authority. And Coben deeply believed this, that yes, he says, study with good teachers, but the good teachers will always go back to you. (laughs) The, The good teacher will never accept authority, will always be reluctant to be the expert for your life. Some of you may know um, this koan. A koan is one of these puzzles, these stories that uh, reveal something that kind of ordinary language and ordinary stories don't quite reveal as poignantly as a koan. And this is a koan that is very famous in Buddhist practice. And it's between a student and his teacher, between a fellow named Joshu and a teacher named Nansen. The teacher is a great Zen master. And Joshin is a 19-year-old young man who just has the taste of the Dharma, the teachings, just just really wants to pursue this path, this what Coben called the true religious way of living. So, Joshin was a monk who was um, 19 years old, a young man, and, by the way, he had studied, he studied with Nansen, who was his teacher, for 40 years. Tsimshin did. So he, he hung in there. Um, and it's said that he lived to be 114. <laughs> he said, this is what this practice enables you to do, is to live to a very ripe old age. And this is, this is the story. Joshu earnestly asked Nansen, What is the way? Nansen said, Ordinary mind is the way. Joshu said, Should I direct myself toward it or not? Nansen said, If you try to turn toward it, you go against it. Joshu said, If I do not try to turn toward it, how can I know that it is the way? Nonsense said, The way does not belong to knowing or not knowing. Remember? Mm-hmm. Knowing is delusion. Not knowing is a blank consciousness. When you have really reached the true way, beyond all doubt, you will find it as vast and boundless as the great empty sky. How can it be talked about on a level of right and wrong? At these words, Joshu was suddenly enlightened. What is the way? What is... How should we live? (coughs) What, What is this all about? What is the great way? It's your ordinary mind. It's your ordinary life. Nothing special. But somehow, we don't trust this. We don't trust that washing the dishes is the way. That doing the laundry is the way. That making dinner is the way. That walking down the path is the way. That petting a cat is the way. Now all all this stuff is it's ordinary. <laughs> it's there's there's something, you know, when we talk about spirituality, when we talk about religion, something special, something extraordinary, something beyond, beyond what, what is right here. And so we're looking for some, you know, something mystical, something beyond this right now. And Nansen says, it's your ordinary mind, it's your ordinary life. And what if... And, and uh, Joshu says, should I turn toward it? And Nansen says... If you turn toward it, you're going to miss it. That's weird. And Joshi says, you know, how, how will I know that I'm going in the right way? And Nan says, it's not about knowing. It's not about this. If you try to be ordinary. You're gonna miss it. Why? Because you're trying to do something other than ordinary. (laughs) Your your very trying is beyond ordinary. It's trying to be something other than what you already are. So kind of, you gotta get that. It's not about knowing it. Not about figuring it out. We're always trying to figure things out. I've got to figure this out, figure this out. It's not. That may be true for knowledge, but not for liberation. The spiritual life cannot be figured out. It has n- nothing to do with understanding in, in your typical way of figuring things out. It has nothing to do with knowing. So, what, what is this ordinary? You know, there's or being ordinary, and then there's being ordinary. So, did nonsense mean that just to be ordinary is like just continue in your delusions, just continue being mindless, just continue uh, attaching to things that aren't real? real? Is is that what your ordinary life, is that what nonsense means by your ordinary mind, your ordinary life? <clears throat> if that were so, then we wouldn't have to practice, right? <laughs> we just and a lot of people say that. You know, if if your ordinary life is the way, just go on doing what you're doing. Without why, why do you have to come to Oon Zendo to sit on the on a cushion? Just keep doing what you're doing. Well, so I doubt that that's what nonsense meant by ordinary, really ordinary. So what might really ordinary mean? It might mean letting go and giving up all the, all the stuff that you think you are, all the ways in which you think you ought to be acting. As he said in our reading, there is no should be. But our ordinary life is full of should be's. There's some, you know, I'm too busy. <laughs> I, I, you know, my life, I'm not, I'm not um, being kind enough. I'm not um, being attentive enough. I'm, I'm always, you know, there's this monitor back there who's constantly judging us against something that we think we ought to be. So we're constantly constructing this self, that is trying to meet this. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying to do better, to do this, to do that, to put more post-its on our our clothing. Mother, dharma teacher, gardener, friend, uh, lover, you know, all these, this is our ordinary life that is full of shoulds of there's something wrongs. So what would it mean to be really ordinary? To get, to set aside, I've been kind of putting it to myself lately as, getting rid of your trophies. Because your trophies make you special. Right? This, is, this, is a, this is my trophy. Maybe my diploma is my trophy, right? I got a degree, my trophy. It makes me special, right? Um, I am, um, I'm the best mother in the world. I got this amazing card for my daughter, my trophy you won a prize first, you you competed and you won some contest, your trophy, your job title, a trophy. All of these constructions that are part of our ordinary life, that's not the kind of ordinary I think that Nansen is referring to. He's referring to the ordinary so ordinary that there's nothing there that you are naked you have no trophies to present to the world you are as ordinary you're you're inconspicuously ordinary and in doing so you have nothing you're liberated you have nothing to live up to, you have nothing to um, to uh, act out. If I have my trophy, I have to live up to that. I, I have to I have to be special. I you know there's no other no other option for me. I have to keep being feeding this this self that I've construct all of these cells that I've constructed and I became become really busy. So yes, our ordinary our ordinary mind is a busy mind, right? Is a busy busy, we're all so busy. And that's our ordinary life. That's not really ordinary. <laughs> Really ordinary is to have a a, a, an open, spacious, non-should ought approach to life. I am so ordinary that I nobody even notices me. I I have to remember this story that as I like to arrange flowers and this is a story I tell often. Um, I was in a, in a, um, on a retreat and did the flower arrangement uh, for the altar. And the person giving the Dharma talk noticed the, the beautiful flower arrangement. And he thought somebody else had done it. And so he remarked how beautiful it was and was looking at that person And I was sitting in in the in this audience, thinking, I wanted to go. No, that was me. (laughs) Me, I'm the special one. Have you ever, you know, experienced something like that? Yeah, somebody maybe took credit for something. Uh, You know, I'm not going to just sink into nothingness, just completely be no one. No, I I want to be recognized. Ah, that's how ordinary can we get. <laughs> that is our practice. When we notice, you yeah, know, and I'm I'm coming inflated here. Look at me. I'm sitting here. You're all listening to me. I'm special. <laughs> how how much how How much can we strip away and become, be okay with not being recognized? Having, you know, going into our trophy room and there's nothing there. Sometimes this practice is described as a burglar walking into an empty house. There's nothing there there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing of value there's nothing to take because I'm just free I'm open I'm no one I am no one which means I'm not busy I'm not busy trying trying to be someone So this is a wonderful question for us to explore. How many trophies are you willing to give away? (laughs) To put into the compost pile? How unspecial are you willing to be? Which means to examine how special you think you are. In what ways do you want to stand out? to stand out. And that standing out takes energy, takes time, takes trying, (laughs) takes real effort, and it can be exhausting. It's not liberating. So these ordinary ways that we live um, really imprison us in our in our so-called ordinary constructions of self, of our ordinary busyness. So this is about being plain. It doesn't mean just lying around, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean lying around on the couch, uh, sucking your thumb, you know, metaphorically, and just kind of, sinking into uh, a blob of whatever. It takes, it takes intention and it takes a commitment to being really ordinary. And, and that is a, a, a state of freedom. But it takes practice. And one of our Sangha members, Sherry, talks about muscular Zen. "This is muscular Zen. It's like... Oh, "No, don't take this away from me." <laughs> you know, this is so much my identity. Um, so, ugh, I, I just can't give that up. I see myself as a strong woman. I You cannot see me as crying. You know, I'm not vulnerable. I'm powerful. I don't cry. How oh, hanging on to that and then letting, letting it go. I'm, this is... I have so internalized this specialness about me that what happens when i i let it go who do i become i become just plain ordinary and so when we practice ordinary mind our ordinary life our ordinary life becomes something different than it is now. It becomes the way. It becomes religious. It becomes sacred. If the way is ordinary mind, our ordinary life becomes a religion. So that when you, you get to the point, I think it was Maizumi Roshi who said, when you reach the point at which when you're cleaning the toilet it's as if you're cleaning the altar and when you are tidying the altar it's like cleaning the toilet and so you're not quite the contrary that you're not escaping your ordinary way of being, for something mystical, something special, something sacred beyond this. When my daughter was young, I would let her visit her grandparents in Florida and she would get on the, she was terrified of flying and she would uh, only be able to tolerate it by putting a paper bag over her head during the flight. And I would be, yeah, it's the only (laughs) this is is true, I hope she doesn't listen to this Dharma talk. (laughs) But my daughter is special (laughs) she's she does she has interesting uh, ways of coping with life (laughs) but this was her early on get a big grocery bag and she would put it over her head and I would be sitting next to her and of course it was a bit embarrassing for me to be sitting next to her with a paper bag over her head but it was a four, only four hours. <laughs> so but I, I'm remembering that because it it's sort of like how we are, you know, with our ordinary lives. We like have bags over our heads, looking for something beyond what we're doing. It's like this isn't enough. Or this is too mundane. Or this isn't religious. This is just taking the garbage out. (laughs) But this is it. When you're taking the garbage out, you are about as ordinary as you can possibly be, right? And that's the sacred moment. When nobody notices you, and you are just doing what has to be done. What's in front of, what's in front of your nose. So. <clears throat> why can't we live this way? Why are we always looking for something more, something better, something different, something we should be doing. Where do we get this should from? Where does that come from? Why isn't this enough? Or more than enough? Where is this should coming from? Why isn't it That we are perfect just as we are every single moment. Why 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 is that perfect? Because that's what is. It's as simple as that. So as it is, as you are. Whatever is happening now is perfect because it's happening there's no beyond what's happening except up here except as a projection of ought this ought not to be happening I ought not to be feeling this I ought not to be thinking this but you are (laughs) and thus just that moment is absolutely perfect because it's exactly what's happening. So we don't run away from, we don't put a bag over our heads. I'm taking out the garbage with a bag over my head. Because this, I don't want to look at that because that's, but that's it. That's what you're doing. I was folding red napkins from the laundry one day and I just, I was, trying to, I basically put a bag over my head while I was folding it, mindlessly. And then I thought, but I'm just folding red napkins right now. That is my life. That's my life right now. And it just brought me back. You know, where where else is it? Where else is my life except right here, right now, with you, right here, right now, That's it, it's perfect, there's nothing more. So I'd like to end with um, one of my favorite quotes from another Zen teacher, his name is Reginald Ray. Dharma, Dharma, teachings, Um, Our guidance. Dharma is not about credentials. Expert. Not about credentials. It's not about how many practices you've done or how peaceful you can make your mind. So we try to make our, try to be calm. Try, 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 try. Already you missed it. Just allow, just let it be. Let it be, let you be, allow. Or how peaceful you can make your mind. It's not about being in a community where you feel safe or enjoying being a Buddhist. It's not about accumulating teachings, knowledge not about knowledge. It's not about accumulating teachings or empowerments or spiritual accomplishments. It's about how naked you're willing to be about your own life and how much you are willing to let go of your masks and your armor, and I'll include and your trophies, and live as a completely exposed, undefended, open, human person. Me. Ordinary me. What you see is what you get. Nothing special.